Welcome to Relationship Rehab with your host, Nancy Landrum. This is the place to gather practical skills for improving the quality of your relationships. Nancy considers you the hero since you're willing to improve your own communication and conflict management skills in order to heal past wounds and create happier relationships. So please welcome the host of Relationship Rehab, Nancy Landrum. Welcome to Relationship Rehab. I'm Nancy Landrum on Bold Brave TV. This is episode 33 of Relationship Rehab. We're going to tackle an interesting and a little bit of a tough subject today. It's our expectations for what we're going to get from a marriage or a married partner or a relationship. The disillusionment that sometimes sets in a while down the road when we don't get what we're expecting. And then the opportunity to do the real work of the relationship. The concept I'm talking about today was introduced by Dr. Harville Hendricks in his book, Getting the Love You Want. It's a highly, I highly recommend this book. It's something that I often recommend to couples when they've completed my course or my coaching package. The, the main point of his concept is that we unconsciously choose a partner that is absolutely perfect for the kind of personal growth that we need to do. This concept made such a big difference in the relationship between Jim and me when we understood it, some of the things that had been very frustrating and unexplainable all of a sudden made sense to us. I'm going to touch on that again in just a few minutes. The first time I married, like most people, I was very excited to get married. My expectation was that this man was going to make me happy he was going to heal all the hurt that I was carrying around inside. And of course, there was sexual attraction and the excitement of getting ready for a big wedding that we enjoyed. It didn't take very long, however, for the disillusionment to set in. And my blame to him blamed him for the fact that he was not making me happy the way I thought he was going to. I was still carrying a lot of pain inside that just didn't seem to let up at all. In fact, it was getting worse because of my disappointment in my marriage. It took about two and a half years for me to make what it was a very key shift in my attitude and my perception. That was that I stopped blaming him and began to ask, what am I doing? What am I contributing to this marriage that's helping to make it worse, that's not allowing it to thrive? I literally fell down on the floor one day and begged God, please tell me how to what I need to do to make this marriage better. I don't like the way this is going. And I'm finally willing to look at what I'm contributing to the marriage rather than blaming him for whatever faults he brought 
to the relationship. That was a huge turn point, a transformation point that Harville Hendricks talks about in his book, Getting the Love You Want. Next day or a day or two afterwards, I remember standing in the kitchen and the thought just entered my mind, what if I started being grateful for whatever time I had with him rather than being upset and mad and complaining about long hours he worked and the time that I didn't get with him. I began what now I would call a spiritual practice. Every evening when I heard his truck pull in a driveway, I would say a prayer of gratitude. Thank you that he's home safely. Thank you that he wants to come home. By that time we had a baby boy. Thank you that he enjoys being a good father. And the gratitude that I began expressing for the time that we had together each evening and uh, sometimes on Sundays began to turn the relationship around. It wasn't perfect and certainly there was a lot more that I could have learned and hopefully would have learned. But about two years after that, he left to play softball one night for our church league and dropped dead unexpectedly of an aortic aneurysm we didn't know he had. That was not in my life plan. My expectation was, you know, finally I would figure out what I needed to do to make this marriage happy and we would live into old age and raise our two baby boys together. That dream died the night that my husband died. What I didn't appreciate then and could only appreciate much later was that I, be, because of his death and being a single mom for several years, I learned a lot of life skills that I probably would never have learned had he lived. I remember one day, several years later, I was taking care of my David, my little nephew. He was about four, I believe, and the sprinkler broke and I was in the backyard gluing the pieces together so that the sprinkler would work again. And he looked up at me and very seriously said, why isn't a man doing this? And I just quietly said, because there isn't a man here. A man doesn't live here. So I learned how to do it for myself. I learned a whole lot of other skills. I learned to take the car and get the oil changed when it was needed. I, uh, whenever I needed uh, skills around the house, I would go to the local hardware store and quiz the men that owned that store to teach me how do I prep wood to be painted? Uh, how do I change the color on a wall? Um, a lot of things I learned to hang wallpaper. I'd learned a lot of life skills that I never would have learned if my first husband had lived. That wasn't a, a fun lesson to learn. And yet eventually I took a lot of satisfaction in knowing those life skills, knowing how to take care of myself, knowing how to change a tire. 
uh, knowing things that ordinarily I wouldn't have learned. I also gained the confidence in that process that I could take care of myself, which was a very valuable confidence to gain. It served me very well over my entire life. So Harville Hendricks calls this concept the Imago theory, that basically we unconsciously pick the perfect partner for whatever it is we need to learn in life. So we all love the falling in love stage. We love the sexual attraction, the feeling of finally meeting the perfect match for us. The, there's sometimes the feeling of coming home and feeling at peace. Uh, there is often the expectation that this person will fill up all the empty places inside. And you have the dreams of the future that you share together. That certainly happened when I met Jim Landrum. I'd been a single mom for 13 years when we met. Jim had recently, just nine months before we met, had lost his wife after a very long illness. And gradually, he wanted, he was shopping for a wife. He was very uh, committed and intentional about wanting to find another wife. He loved being married. Uh, he wanted to be married again. And so he was dating several different women. When we met, he very quickly decided that he liked what he saw in me and pushed me to be committed uh, very quickly, which I refused to do. I thought I had fallen in love the year before and I got my heart broken. And um, I wasn't about to get a broken heart again. So I slowed everything down. I was cautious, very slow. But uh, gradually I saw the value in this man and fell in love as he was falling in love with me. And we grew to believe that we were meant to be together and that we had a wonderful future together. His persistence won my heart. It's called a honeymoon stage. When you fall in love and there, everything is blissful and and you have nothing but wonderful dreams. Jim and I thought that we were older. We were in our late 30s, early 40s. Uh, we'd been through a lot. We thought we could handle anything. We didn't expect to have any serious problems. But the honeymoon stage eventually ends for nearly every couple. For us, we were gone on our honeymoon for two weeks and the day we got home, we had our first little spat over something that eventually grew into quite a large conflict. Dr. Hendricks calls this the conflict stage of marriage. It's very predictable and even inevitable that you hit the conflict stage, that the honeymoon stage ends, you hit the conflict stage, and Dr. Hendricks says that's when the real purpose of the relationship is revealed. 
because we didn't have Dr. Hendrick's guidance and um, didn't know how to resolve the conflict that we were experiencing, we, we gradually, our communication skills deteriorated. Uh, the level of conflict got greater and greater. We were both very unhappy with the quality of our relationship. I eventually became very depressed and desperately wanted help. It took a while for us to find the help we needed. Once Jim was willing to go with me to get help, we saw three different therapists, we read books, we listened to tapes, we watched programs, you know, but none of them gave us the very practical tools that we needed in order to treat each other more respectfully and in order to resolve the conflict that, that had grown to monumental portions between us. The conflict stage of a relationship is where the real purpose of the relationship is revealed. Now, we didn't understand that. Give you a little bit of background here. Jim's dad was very mechanical. He was a machinist. He understood how anything mechanical worked. He could fix just about everything that broke. And Jim was not born with those same gifts. He had different gifts. He was very musical. Uh, he had a beautiful voice. By the time he was in high school, he was singing lead in musical shows and even had been on television. He eventually made six or seven long play gospel records. His voice was uh, his primary gift, something that, you know, in, he inherited, but his dad didn't appreciate Jim's gifts when Jim didn't know how to fix his motor scooter, for instance, his dad kind of blew up at him and was angry with him because it was so obvious to his dad and he kind of bawled Jim out, read him the riot act because why don't you see this? It's so obvious. You ought to be able to fix your motor scooter. Jim's dad didn't lose his temper very often, but when he did, it was very devastating to Jim. And it left a wound in Jim that was his, his goal in life was to avoid all conflict because he didn't want to be hurt the way his dad had hurt him. I came with my wounds too, and in just a minute when we get back from a commercial break, I'll share those with you and I'll begin to explain how Jim's wounds and my wounds were perfectly matched for the lessons we needed to learn. Be right back. I'm Nancy Landrum with Relationship Rehab. What if there were a super tiny device that could diagnose the brain and is smaller than a single human hair? What if you could see inside the brain to help an epilepsy patient during surgery or to help the fight against Parkinson's disease? Dr. Patricia Broderick is proud to announce the Broderick Probe, a biomedical and electronic breakthrough. Imagine a probe to help with the understanding and potential cure of brain-related 
businesses. To learn more, listen live to the Easy Sense Radio Show with host Dr. Broderick. Wednesday, 7 p.m. Eastern on the Bold Brave Media Network at TuneIn Radio. And to help support the Broderick Foundation, please go to EasySense.com and learn how, with your help, we can fight these horrific brain disorders. That's EasySense.com to learn more and help support the Broderick Foundation. Author, radio show host, and coach, John M. Hawkins, reveals strategies to help gain perspective, build confidence, find clarity, achieve goals. John M. Hawkins' new book, Coached to Greatness, Unlock Your Full Potential with Limitless Growth, published by iUniverse. Hawkins reveals strategies to help readers accomplish more. He believes the book can coach them to greatness. Hawkins says that the best athletes get to the top of their sport with the help of coaches, mentors, and others. He shares guidance that helps readers reflect on what motivates them discover and assess their core values, philosophies, and competencies, find settings that allow them to be the most productive, and track their progress towards accomplishing goals. Listen to John Hawkins' My Strategy, Saturdays, 1 p.m. Eastern, on the BBM Global Network and TuneIn Radio. Welcome back. I'm Nancy Landrum, your guide to relationship rehab. As I was saying, the conflict stage of a relationship is inevitable and pretty predictable. It's where each of our weaknesses become exposed by the conflicts in the relationship and how we handle them. Jim's weakness was fear of conflict, fear of addressing conflict, doing anything he could to avoid conflict. He just wanted peace at any price. He just wanted us to be in love all the time without any difficulties, without any disagreements. But my fear, my wound, was the fear of not being heard, the fear of not being important, the fear of not being seen. And so when there was a conflict, I just stepped right into it. I spoke up. I you know, named what I thought the problem was and how are we going to fix it. And I often thought I was right and would fight my way into the conflict to convince him that I was right and he was wrong. And of course, he thought he was right and would disagree or would dismiss any agreements we made because he'd end up agreeing to something that I wanted to keep the peace with me, but then later realized that he couldn't follow through, didn't like the agreement. So we were both fighting to take care of the wounds that we brought with us into the marriage and fighting to be right, you know, thinking that if I was right and Jim realized I was right, that somehow that would meet my need to be heard and understood and valued. And Jim was fighting to be right because he didn't, he felt um, demeaned by me telling him what to do all the time and, you know, kind of bossing him around. 
we were fighting to be right based on the wounds from our childhood. What we didn't realize was that those wounds were directing or giving impetus to the conflict that we were experiencing and making it impossible for us to resolve the conflict and get beyond it. Part of the problem, which was a more surface part of the problem, was that the research was just beginning to be uh, published about the unique differences in a step family, which we were. We definitely needed anger management skills by the time we found a good coach. We needed to learn how to speak to each other respectfully so that we could hear each other. I kind of thought Jim was stupid because he couldn't hear me and didn't understand what I was saying. But lo and behold, when I learned how to deliver the message in a more respectful way, he could hear it easier. It was easier for us to communicate. So be, treating each other with respect became our new goal which was part of the lesson that we needed to learn. It was the foundation of the lessons that we brought into this marriage that needed to be addressed. We were both very tired of hurting each other and fortunately, we still loved each other enough to do everything we could to restore the love in our marriage. One day, we sat on our sofa in our, our little love seat in our bedroom and talked about our hot issue using the respectful tools that our coach was teaching us. And we made it through 45 minutes without it erupting into a fight, which was the first for us. We were able a little bit better to hear each other because we weren't creating defensiveness by the attacking methods of communication that we had been using. And we made the commitment to each other to treat each other with respect 24 seven. That was the day our marriage began to heal, even though we didn't actually resolve the conflict between us for another, I don't know, six or seven weeks. We made, we were determined to keep whatever agreements we made with each other, which was one of the lessons that Jim had to learn is that he had to think through any suggestion I made and decide ahead of time, can I follow through with this or will I not follow through with it? And if I can't follow through with it, then I won't agree to it. So he learned to keep his word because he'd broken his word to me so many, many, many times that I'd lost all respect for him. I didn't know, I, didn't, I never knew when I could count on his word. He'd lost respect for me because my temper would flare up and I would treat him with such disrespect with sarcastic put downs and yelling at him, which reminded him of his dad. It triggered that old wound. When he couldn't hear me and didn't understand what I was trying to do, it reminded me of my childhood, my experience with my parents. 
So we were triggering each other's childhood wounds. Later, Jim coined the phrase, it was like stepping on a landmine. We step on each other's landmines. And it was the, the learning how to treat each other with respect that laid the foundation to heal our childhood wounds. When we read Dr. Hendricks' book, we realized that that was the pattern that we that was set for us in our childhoods and Jim's fear of conflict and my fear of not being heard. And we began to use the skills our coach was teaching us to eliminate vicious contact, conflict and um, attacking conflict and also to hear each other. Uh, more effectively. So the skilled, what I call skilled discussions now that I teach my clients, it was a combination of me delivering a message respectfully and Jim hearing the message, hearing what I had to say and treating it with more authenticity, with more respect than he had been in the past. Gradually, as we treat each, uh, each other with respect and the, the vicious conflicts that we've been experiencing disappeared, it healed Jim's childhood fear of conflict and began to heal my fear of not being important in a relationship, of not being heard. Dr. Hendricks calls this third level of relationship the conscious partnership stage. In a conscious partnership, we each assume responsibility for ourselves, for the wounds we bring into the relationship, for the level of communication that we demonstrate in the relationship. We each consciously bring ourselves into the relationship rather than using blame as a scapegoat for whatever goes wrong in the relationship. As we studied Dr. Hendrick's book and the exercises in the book, we realized how we had perfectly chosen each other to do the work of healing our childhood wounds that needed to be done in order to become grown up, to become free from our past, to be um, uh, uh, mature in a relationship. We could not participate in the conscious partnership stage of the relationship until we were each willing to assume responsibility for our own patterns, our own history. Eventually, Jim's fear of conflict totally disappeared and he was even able to bring up things that were uh, disturbed him without fear that I was going to attack or be unreasonable, that I would hear him. Uh, I was reassured that he would hear whatever it was I had to say, that we would work out any conflicts between us in a way that worked for both of us. One of the most precious things he did for me 
that helped heal my wound was whenever I told him, I really need to talk to you about X, whatever that was, if he was doing a crossword puzzle or reading the newspaper or watching TV, he would turn off the TV, put the newspaper down, give me his full attention. That was so healing to me. That healed my fear that I would never be heard or never be important, never be valued in a relationship. When he brought up something that was disturbing to him and I responded with respect and listened to him, was willing to work out whatever solution worked for us both, it healed his childhood wound. Because of the conscious work that we did together, we enjoyed the last 17 years of our lives together, last 17 years of our marriage. We enjoyed this blissful harmony where there was this constant flow of loving back and forth between the two of us without interruption. If any little thing came up, we would address it immediately. It was usually resolved within five minutes. We never even had another harsh word between us. It was so awesome to recognize how perfectly we had chosen each other for the purpose of healing these childhood wounds. We never went back to our old ways. We never wanted to have the poison of that conflict and disrespect come back between us again. We still had challenges, but we would immediately use the speaking and listening skills based on respect to resolve it. The next section, I'm going to talk about why the Imago theory of Dr. Hendricks doesn't always lead to a conscious partnership. There are stories with different lessons coming up. I'm Nancy Landrum with Relationship Rehab on Old Beef Brave TV. Be right back. Did you know that your beliefs create your entire reality? That it's the subconscious beliefs that do most of the creating. Belief Shifter and Life Coach Shiraz can help you identify those limiting beliefs and eliminate them, often in a single session. Like it was almost instant, like I had relief right away. Creating better health, relationships, careers, and finances. Let Shiraz help you step out of safety and into awareness. Definitely something's happening. Um, it's like there's a flow inside. Yeah, it feels good. Whether in person or online, Shiraz provides personal coaching, belief shifting. Visit the rise at energeticmagic.com or call 416-529-7429. Energetic Magic on the BBM Global Network, Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern. Find your greater happiness. Be well. Be aware. Be magical. Are you struggling to care for elderly parents or a spouse? Do you wonder if being a caregiver is making you sick? Are you worried about taking time off work to care for elderly parents and balance work, life, and caregiving? 
Has caregiving become exhausting and emotionally draining? Are you an aging adult who wants to remain independent but you're not sure how? I'm Pamela D. Wilson. Join me for the Caring Generation radio show for caregivers and aging adults Wednesday evenings, 6 Pacific, 7 Mountain, 8 Central, 9 Eastern, where I answer these questions and share tips managing stress, family relationships, health, well-being, and more. Podcasts and transcripts of Caring Generation are on my website, PamelaDWilson.com, plus my caregiving library, online caregiver support programs, and programs for corporations interested in supporting working caregivers. Help, hope, and support for caregivers is here on the Caring Generation and PamelaDWilson.com. Welcome back. I'm Nancy Landrum, your guide to relationship rehab. As I mentioned before, my first marriage ended in a death. We were only married four and a half years before he died unexpectedly. That wasn't what I expected from this marriage. I thought we would live to old age, raise our children together. But I had different lessons to learn from that relationship. I learned to be independent in very healthy ways, uh, gained life skills that I probably would never have learned otherwise. Those skills came in very handy during the 13 years that I was a single uh, parent before I met and married Jim Landrum. They even came in handy after I married Jim Landrum because he was not a fix-it guy. He wasn't a handyman. So I learned very quickly that when certain chores like hanging up curtain rods and things like that needed to be done, I would do them when he wasn't home because it embarrassed him that he didn't know how to do them. So let's talk about some different kinds of lessons that come from the choices of relationship that we make. I had a friend who married with high hopes, like most of us do, very much in love. Uh, over years, it took time, but over years he became an alcoholic and a womanizer. That wasn't what she planned for her marriage. Her pattern was to believe that she could fix it if she were just perfect enough. If she worked hard enough, if she changed herself enough, that somehow he would come around and treat her with respect and stop the womanizing, stop the affair, stop the alcoholism. It didn't work. And she's very persistent, very, very strong woman. She kept trying for years and years. Finally, after 35 years, she was totally depleted, totally exhausted, had to leave the marriage in order to save herself. It was heartbreaking to her. She grieved the loss of her dream for years afterwards. She grieved the way her life had turned out and how different it was than she had planned. But her goal, shortly after leaving him, her goal became to learn how to love in a healthy way. She recognized that the way she had been loving her ex was not healthy, it was very dysfunctional. And her 
belief that somehow it was all up to her. If she could just be perfect enough that everything would turn out right, she realized that that was an unrealistic belief. So her goal became to learn how to love in a healthy way. She went back to school, got her master's degree, earned her license as a therapist, coached individuals and children in grief therapy, rebuilt relationships with her children, eventually was able to, in a sense, I don't know how she would describe this, but it looked like she was able to forgive him. There were times during the holidays when he was welcome to join the family at her house for holiday gatherings. It was very, it was a huge step uh, toward healing that she was able to take with him and that was very good for their children. He eventually died as a result of his alcoholism. But when looking back from a higher point of view, from the point of view of the Imago theory of relationships, she chose the perfect partner for the life lessons that she needed to learn. That doesn't mean it's pleasant. It wasn't easy. It was very hard and very painful, as my lessons were very painful for me. I had a lot to learn. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, but in from that higher point of view, she was given the perfect partner or she chose the perfect partner for the lessons that were up for her to learn in life. This requires a perspective about life that is probably not ordinary. Uh, the perspective, the belief that I have is that life is a school and that we're all here to learn whatever's important for us to learn. And the perfect opportunities unfold to us, the perfect relationships come to us to help us learn whatever lessons we are here to learn here on earth. Our, our earth school. That may not be a perspective that you are willing to adopt. And if not, I, I sure understand it's not an easy um, foundation for living here that to uh, work from, the perspective to work from. But it's one that I have adopted love to talk with you about that if you would like to. One of my friends was one of eight children in a very large family. She spent her childhood trying to make things easier for her mother. She did a lot of chores. She ironed clothes. She did laundry. She waited on her siblings and in order to take some of the burden of eight children off of her mother. When she grew up, her goal in life was just to find someone who would take care of her, someone that um, would notice what she needed and be able to take care of her. So she fell in love, loved falling in love like we do, we all do, and discovered eventually the disillusionment in that relationship was that he was also a very mean alcoholic. He was an abusive alcoholic 
and eventually she and her little daughter had to leave him for their own safety. He died as a result of his alcoholism. She healed to the best of her ability and moved forward with her life, eventually married another man that she thought would be, he would be the one to take care of her. And eventually she realized that he was also an alcoholic, although he wasn't as abusive as her first husband. He was a pretty chronic drinker, which made him, when you're practicing an addiction, you're unavailable for a relationship. Your main relationship is with the um, addiction, whatever it is, whether it's gambling or food or alcohol or drugs, whatever the addiction is, takes you away from being present in a relationship. He went to rehab multiple times. And every time she hoped that would be the last time that he'd finally be ready to give up alcohol. But each time he went back to drinking, she went into therapy and she told me that it took two years of therapy before she was willing to address her fear of taking care of herself, her fear of being on her own. During that two years of therapy, or near the end of the two years of therapy, she gained enough confidence in her ability to take care of herself that she issued an ultimatum to her second husband and said, this time when you go into rehab or sober living, which he had done several times, if you begin drinking again, I will insist that we put the house up for sale divide the proceeds, and I will divorce you. A few months later, that's exactly what happened. She chose not to stop drinking. He chose to go back to alcohol, and they put the house up for sale. They divided the um, assets, and she filed for divorce. It all Once it was put in motion, it all happened very quickly. And uh, it was scary. Uh, she worried a lot, but um, the universe took care of her, uh, put her in touch with a woman that was going to Europe for three months and needed a house sitter. She took care of that lady's house for three months and then began looking for a rental that she could afford. She eventually found the perfect little quiet place, a quiet, beautiful place that became a place of healing for her and reassurance that she was doing a good job of taking care of herself. And uh, that was the, that was her life lesson to learn from these relationships. I don't know, you know, she has quite a bit of life left to live, left to live. I don't know, of course, what the next phase of life will bring for her. But those partners were the perfect ones for her to learn the lesson of self-confidence, her ability to take care of herself. Another former client of mine married a drug addict. She didn't know he was when they married. 
uh, he was not a daily drug user, but every four or five months, he would go out on a cocaine binge and be gone for three or four days, always coming home uh, physically and emotionally wiped out, depleted. She never knew which one of these binges might kill him. He frequently put himself in dangerous situations. And her, her shame, she was so ashamed of herself for marrying a drug addict that she hid his drug addiction from the family. Uh, she made excuses for him. She lied for him. And at some point in time, uh, we were introduced and I began working with both she and her husband. Lesson for her was to give up the shame, to forgive herself for making what she considered possibly a mistake, uh, marrying someone that, that was addicted to drugs. But she quit trying to hide uh, the problem from his family, from her family. And when the, her family in particular came down hard on her and was telling her what to do and that she needed to leave him, et cetera, et cetera, she set very strong boundaries for what her family was allowed to say or do. She said, when, when and if it's time for me to leave, I will know it right now. We're still working on making this marriage work and working it out. He eventually got clean. Uh, his problems didn't end, but he quit using cocaine, kind of switched to alcohol for a while, and then finally quit using over-abusing alcohol. They have remained married. They have two beautiful children together. They're still together, still making their marriage work. There were some very, very hard lessons in that relationship before they got to the conscious partnership stage of their relationship. I'm going to be back in a minute and kind of uh, summarize what I've been talking about during this episode. See if some of it applies to you or if maybe I'm just making you very angry thinking in terms of this perspective. I'm Nancy Landrum with Relationship Rehab on Bold Bray TV. Be back in a minute. time off work to care for elderly parents and balance work, life, and caregiving. Has caregiving become exhausting and emotionally draining? Are you an aging adult who wants to remain independent but you're not sure how? I'm Emily G. Wilson. Join me for the Caring Generation radio show for caregivers and aging adults Wednesday evenings, 6 Pacific, 7 Mountain, 8 Central, and 9 Eastern, where I answer these questions and share tips for managing stress, family relationships, health, well-being, and more. Podcasts and transcripts of The Caring Generation are on my website, PamelaDWilson.com, plus my caregiving library, online caregiver support programs, and programs for corporations interested in supporting working caregivers. Help, hope, and support for caregivers is here on Caring Generation and PamelaDWilson.com. 
Mike Zorick, a three-time California state champion in Greco-Roman wrestling at 114 pounds. Mike Blind Sitzberth was born in Hartford, Connecticut. He was a six-time national placer, including two seconds, two-thirds, and two-fourths. He also won the Veterans Folkstyle Wrestling twice at 152 pounds. In all these tournaments, he was the only blind competitor. Nancy Zorick, a creative spirit whose talents have taken her to stage and into galleries and exhibitions in several states. Her father, a commercial artist who shared his instruments with his daughter and helped her fine-tune her natural abilities, influenced her decision to follow in his footsteps. Ms. Zorick has enjoyed a fruitful career doing what she loves. Listen Saturday mornings at 12 Eastern for the Nancy and Mike Show for heartwarming stories and interesting talk on the BDM Global Network. Welcome back. I'm Nancy Landrum, your guide to relationship rehab. If you follow my lead and adopt the belief that life is a school where everything we encounter is here to help us learn, help us heal, help us move forward, help us grow, and help us become our best selves, then every relationship that's placed in your path is there for a reason, even maybe particularly the most difficult ones. Whomever we choose to marry is the perfect partner to challenge and stimulate your personal growth. The faster you give up blaming someone else for the trouble they are causing you and look for the lesson, accepting personal responsibility for whatever it is you are meant to learn from this person or that relationship, the easier your life becomes. Now, when you give up blaming and accept responsibility that this person is here in your life for a reason and that you're meant to learn and grow from this relationship, then if you begin searching, the teacher will come to help you know how to grow or develop or become your best self in that situation or with that person. We become conscious partners with a higher power that only intends every circumstance in life to be for our good. As I mentioned, you may enjoy getting the love you want from Harville Hendrix. There's also quite a bit of this message in the book that Jim and I wrote together how to stay married and love it, solving the puzzle of a soulmate marriage. Chapter three in this book is called Acres of Diamonds. And it's about a particular farmer in Africa that left his, what he thought was a barren field to go in search of diamonds to support his family, left his family with relatives. This is a true story, by the way and later sold the land to someone else who found literally diamonds laying in the dirt, uh, part of the soil of the, the field that he gave up. And the lesson is that you look for the diamonds in your own backyard and rather than 
abandoning your yard, your family, your partnership, your marriage to go find Diamond somewhere else. I'm not saying that every relationship you have to stick with because certainly a few of the examples I give you today were examples where the relationship needed to be left in order for the, the friend of mine that I'm talking about to learn the lessons that were important for her to learn from that relationship. You may uh, learn a lot from the two books I've mentioned. If you happen to be in relationship with an addict, either an alcoholic or a drug addict or some other kind of addiction, you may find a lot of help in my book called Pungent Boundaries. That's Pungent Boundaries. The reason I use the term pungent is because pungent is kind of sharp. It doesn't have a really good taste or smell. It's not particularly fun. But learning to set healthy boundaries in relationship with an addict is part of the lesson I had to learn in relationship with my son, Steve, who was a drug addict for 15 years. Everything I write, everything I teach comes not only from um, research validated outcomes, but also comes from my own life, from lessons I've had to learn personally. Pungent boundaries was certainly one of the hard lessons I had to learn with my beloved son, Steve. But one of the most valuable lessons I learned as well. One of my friends calls pungent boundaries codependence for dummies. It's um, recovering from codependence is, and codependence is people-pleasing, excessive people-pleasing, by the way. You are designed to be healthy and happy. That is who you are meant to be. And one of the ways to get there as quickly as possible is to surrender to the need for learning and growth. And you'll find that you are nurtured by the lessons that come to you because they lead you to the final goal of being healthier and happier. You can come see me for support, books, online courses, coaching, and more at relationshiprehabshow.com. If you want to throw a brick at your screen or curse a bit at the thoughts I've been bringing you today, I understand they're not easy to swallow. But if you're ready to make changes that will ultimately bring you freedom, your higher power, the universe, or God will make sure that you find the guide that you need. I'm Nancy Landrum, your guide to relationship rehab on Bold Brave TV. I wish you the best and see you next week. This has been Relationship Rehab with your host, Nancy Landrum. Although Nancy's passion has been to help marriages, these skills apply equally to all relationships. So tune in each week to improve your relationships on the next episode of Relationship Rehab.